You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And I said, I can't believe it. I finally got the Aussie gig. But I'm an extreme. We sold fucking records. I don't just leave extreme, right? Yeah. yeah. So I was just like, holy shit. I was just like, holy shit, holy shit, holy shit, holy shit. You know what it's like back then? You get the Aussie gig. You're the dream guitar player. You're the guy. You're the guy on the scene. You're the Jakey Lee, the Randy Rhodes. You're the fucking guy that they want. Getting the Aussie gig is like you won the fucking golden ticket. It's the Willy Walk-Up guitar players. You're on the cover of every fucking magazine. You're, you're doing the next album. You're fucking, you're doing it. But yet, I had a success with Extreme. I was already on the covers of some magazines. I fucking had done it. We had some hits. We're doing, what am I going to do? Fucking leave my fucking band? So the words come out of my mouth. No, can't do it. Killed me. Killed my heart. Stake into the heart. No. Stupid because the extreme broke up like fucking three weeks later. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to 2020. I'm Siobhan Cronin, as always, with Corey Peza and Benny Goodman. You know, this was continuation of part one with Nuno Betancourt. We are now into part two. We didn't even stop recording. It was just continuous stream of consciousness. So thank you for listening. You know, we're just going to jump right in. Grab a bottle of wine and join in the fun. (laughs) This was definitely a wine drinking episode. We just kept going and going and going. Siobhan was a bottle of wine before Nuno even signed on. And let me tell (laughs) you, I I, I think Nuno may have been a bottle of wine and before he signed on too. And let me just tell you that as a fan of Nuno, if you you love Nuno like I love Nuno which is a lot then this is the definitive I, I say it I say I throw down I'll be as transparent as Nuno himself is this is the definitive Nuno interview check it out so stay tuned part two like Randy Eddie, I mean, who else? Who else was it? Brian May, you know. I mean, those were the guys. You know what I mean? And and you know, it's. I, I'm sure you. I don't want to get into the story about the whole fucking Aussie thing, the Randy Rose thing. You probably know about it. How you know? How I get offered the the the, the Aussie gig? Do you not know? No, 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 you I didn't tell know that, dude. I love Ozzy Osbourne. Assume I, that I know guys, nothing. Guys, guys <laughs> and girls, guys and girls. What year did Randy Rose die? 1982, March 19th. So Randy Rhodes dies. We're like, what the fuck? And I open possibly circus, hip parade, I don't know which one. And I open it up and I see this little fucking thing, little ad, and it says, Ozzy looking for new guitar player. Send your cassette. Play like two or three Ozzy songs. You know what I said? Fucking what, 82? I would have graduated, I would have graduated 84, 80, so we're talking about 80. Brad Gillis jumped in right away, so it wasn't 82, 83. So let's talk about high school. Let's talk about right around junior year, which I quit high school. So I'm sitting in my fucking bedroom like, fuck this. This is my fucking gig. 
I'm replacing fucking Randy Rhodes. That's how fucking delusional I was, right? I'm, replacing, I'm fucking replacing Randy Rhodes, right? In Hudson Mass, yeah. From Hudson Mass, I'm replacing So I'm fucking sitting there. What do I got to do? All right, I'm going to fucking borrow a 412 cabin from somebody and I'm fucking going to put it in my fucking bedroom. And I'm going to borrow a fucking even tight harmonizer from a fucking the most expensive unit you can get in a fucking studio so I can sound like Randy. And I'm going to fucking sit here and I'm going to play Crazy Train and I'm going to fucking do it probably like shit, but I thought I was good. And I'm fucking playing it and I'm doing it and I record it. I fucking do the cassette. I look at the address and I send the motherfucker off because I'm getting the fucking gig. Without a doubt. <laughs> I'm replacing fucking Randy Rhodes. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. I send it off. I fucking run to the fucking mailbox. I'm like, fuck, no, no response. How's that possible? No response. Nothing. Weeks go by, no response. Brad Gillis is doing the gig. And then I fucking, Jakey Lee gets the fucking gig. It's great, right? Obviously. But I'm like, I didn't get the fucking gig. I didn't get the, how the fuck is that possible? How the fuck did I not? What? I nailed it. I yeah. fucking know I nailed it. So, 1980, let's call it 84, right? Cut to 19, cut to, cut to, 1994, 10 years later, 10 fucking years later, I'm in London. Extreme is fucking playing. Wait a second. Hammersmith, I believe. Rod McSween, our booking agent, who books Ozzy, comes into the fucking dressing room. And he's usually very pleasant. Usually like, you know, hey guys, what's going on? And he's, he's a little uncomfortable. He's like, hey guys, what's going on? I'm like, okay, cool. And he goes, Nuno, can I talk to you for a second? Pulls me out in the hallway. Dressing room door is closed. I'm like in the hallway. And I remember I was facing. And he says to me, Nuno, and he's whispering. I'm like, why are you whispering? And like he goes, I, I'm in an awkward fucking position. And on my way here, I got a call from Sharon Osborne. Right? So he's like right there. And he's telling me this. And he's saying, Zach is not going to do the band anymore. And they need a guitar player and they want you to do it. And there's a f fucking private jet waiting at Heathrow airport right now. If you want to go and get on this and go fucking on tour with Ozzy, do the next album, do everything else. So, you know, in the movies when somebody's talking to you and they're saying something and then it just goes silent, or you hear like a ring or something. So his lips just start moving. He just keeps talking. The whole fucking thing went silent. And I just was like staring at him. And then the sound came back and he finished talking. I don't know what he said at the end. It was just like, it's lips moving. He finished talking and I was like, they heard the cassette. <laughs> so they finally heard the cassette. I yeah. literally said those fucking words and he looked at me and said, he said, what cassette are you talking about? And I'm like, no, never mind, never mind. Never mind. <laughs> 10 years later, they heard the fucking cassette. They finally fucking pulled it out and heard the fucking thing. I knew do this you was have, my game. Do you have it? Can, can you please release like a box set with no, the live tie your no, mother down? you make a cassette, you send it no, off. No, he sent over. it. It was gone. Wait, wait, so you did it the real way. So you did it the real 1980s way where well, you just yeah, made it, you fired it off. There was no high-speed yeah. dubbing. No, fuck yeah. Oh, yeah. I can't afford the boom box that does the copy of the yeah. <laughs> But anyways, so yeah. check this shit out. Check this shit out. This goes back to what you, Shimon, asked me about 
why did Extreme get a record deal? Why did Extreme fucking have a shot at doing it? This goes back full motherfucking circle. Why do I say this? Because he looked at me and I said, I can't believe it. I finally got the Aussie gig. But I'm an Extreme. We sold fucking records. I don't just leave Extreme, right? Yeah. yeah. So I was just like, holy shit. I was just like, holy shit, holy shit, holy shit, holy shit. You know what it's like back then? You get the Aussie gig. You're the dream guitar player. You're the guy. You're the guy on the scene. You're the Jakey Lee, the Randy Rhodes. You're the fucking guy that they want. Getting the Aussie gig is like you won the fucking golden ticket. It's the Willy Walk-Up guitar players. You're on the cover of every fucking magazine. You're, you're doing the next album. You're fucking, you're doing it. But yet, I had a success with Extreme. I was already on the covers of some magazines. I fucking had done it. We had some hits. We're doing, what am I going to do? Fucking leave my fucking band? So the words come out of my mouth. No, can't do it. Killed me. Killed my heart. Staked into the heart. No. Stupid because Extreme broke up like fucking three weeks later. <laughs> but you had a strong intuition. I think that's what my original question was. I mean, you you obviously were very in tune with what was the path for you. Oh, I all of a sudden was not in tune. All of a sudden, I'm not fucking, I'm out of tune. I'm fucking way out of tune. Hold on. But I'm in a different key. I'm in a key of be quiet. That's the fucking key I'm in. I'll ask you very quietly then. I'm going to ask you nicely. Can you do can you do Mr. Crowley how you do it sometime for us to hear because that was for me. Like when you go see Megadeth, right? And you see all these guys against Marty Friedman and Kiko Loreo, that's after your time. But with Ozzy, you just said it, right? You're like Randy Rhodes, you're like Okay, the guy from Night Ranger. Mm, okay, Jakey Lee, he's pretty good. And now if you go back and watch those Jakey Lee ones, you're like, wow, that guy was way fucking better than I thought he was. Yeah. Mr. Scary was there for just a moment. You're like, the guy from Dawkins was going to get it. Steve Vai around the same time as you b- before Osmosis. But then that Zach Wild guy came. And Jimmy Bell, who plays with us, who was also from the same scene, uh, uh also was the runner-up to the Zach Wild time when they were looking yeah, for people. And, and all those guys are so fucking ridiculous. And the fact that you did walk away from it, dude, the thing I used to do when I got those Aussie bootlegs, remember when you can go online just that time, that small period of time, and you could trade bootlegs to people? I, I would trade bootlegs just to hear what Randy Rhodes did with Over the Mountain because it wasn't on tribute. I would hear what Jakey e. Lee did or all that. I want to hear what you would have done with Mr. Crowley or Crazy Train. I want to know instead of Joe Holmes. That's fine. And you're right. Imagine that. I was imagining that. You know what's even fucking better than what I walked away from? Fuck all that. What I walked away from was doing an album with fucking Ozzy as me. Do you understand? Like me being the Randy Rhodes. Me being that fucking Jakey Lee. Me being that guy. They said it to me. It's like you go to the fucking airport right now and you fucking tell Extreme to go fuck themselves. And you got a jet waiting, private jet. I want a private jet for the rest of the fucking year and the rest of the fucking two years. And I'm fucking doing the next Aussie album. And I'm fucking writing songs. And I'm writing the next Mr. Fucking Crawl. How about that? Fucking bullshit. Like, as a kid, thinking that I had the possibility to fucking do that. And I was like, no. I'm a high school dropout. I'm stupid. No. <laughs> <laughs> so, so anyways, stupid is as stupid does. So anyways... Meaning, it was the right thing to do. But the reason I'm saying the all-in, and I'm not going to mention a name, but when Rod said, they thought you might say no. Why? Because you're in fucking extreme. You're fucking gold records, platinum records. You're fucking doing it. You carved your own fucking path without Ozzy, without being the fucking guy that he's going to give you a shot and fucking be the side man. 
you fucking did it on your own terms. You fucking sold some records and you're fucking touring. You're doing it. So I was like, hell no. It was the right choice. But he said, if he says no, can you ask him if he has a recommendation? And I was like, wow. Are you trying to tell me that I'm holding the golden ticket, the Willy Walker golden ticket for a dude to fucking go and do this? Because they said, if you fucking say he's the guy, we'll fucking, he's on the next plane to fucking LA and we'll fucking give him a shot. I was like, wow. Giving me that kind of power, of destiny of somebody fucking some other guitar player that I might know or not know that might fucking get this. Wow. So instantly, within 10 seconds, and I fear mentioning his name for obvious reasons. Let's just call him Chucky for now, okay? But there's a dude that we grew up with at the time. He was in another band when the tree was coming up. Great guitar player. Fucking would slam this. Looked amazing. You know, listen, let's not get it twisted. Ozzy's guitar players were just, weren't just guitar players. They had a vibe. They had a look. They had fucking hair. They had like, they had something. It was, it, mm -hmm. it was a thing. There was a thing. It's a culture. You're going to be on his guitar player. You're Jakey. Jakey Lee had a culture. He was mixed. He was Asian. He was fucking, you know, he had a thing. He had a name. You know, it was interesting. It was a story. There had to be a story. You weren't just like, who fucking cared if you could fucking play Crazy Train or not? It was more than that. It was, it was something you had to be part of Ozzy's fucking culture. And he had to look at you and go like, I got a guy there that's doing carrying that part of the stage and that part of my culture and that thing it is going to add to what I'm doing and also elevate me. It was a fucking hard gig. It was a hard gig to get. That's why I didn't get it. <laughs> I didn't get it for 10 fucking years. You know what I mean? When I'm humble that I was asked, I, I, I'm still to this day. I, I fucking wish I did it. I'm not going to lie to you. I wish I did it. I wish I fucking said yes. No bullshit. Fuck extreme for a minute. Guys, I gotta go. I know you're not going anywhere. It's our fourth album. We hate each other right now, anyways. Let me fucking, let me fucking go and do this. Gary would probably say, "Go fucking do it." Like I told him with Van Halen, I said, "Go do it. You gotta fucking do this." Gary fucking said, "I got go do it." You know, and and, and some things you just gotta tell your brother to fucking go and do. It's a historic thing. You know, well, I have a question. You've been going, and I, I have to ask you this because this is crazy. Because I know you and Gary are both Aerosmith fans, and both of you. <laughs> It's kind of like you got to switch each other's wives and bang each other, except in this case, it's Steven Tyler and Joe Perry. We were, we were, we were, the, we were the other women for both of them. Yeah, we were the other because, women. Because first off, I saw Gary Sharon open with, a well, play, not open, play with Joe Perry, and he was so good that like if I was Steven Tyler, I'd be nervous. And then you watch Steven Tyler with you singing more than words at a fucking Nobel Peace Prize. The, some smart people think we're going to get these two fucking guys, these Boston dudes, and, like, you guys actually are sitting there, and he's harmonizing to you. What the fuck, man? Do you ever pinch yourself, and, and then you're standing with so McCartney? Because, it was so funny because me and Gary were communicating at that time. Always, right? Me and Gary <laughs> never lost communication. Through him, through everything. But the funny thing is, is that we sat there, and we would joke about it. It's like, yo... I'm fucking Steven Tyler while you're fucking Eddie. You know, like, what is happening right now? Like, what the fuck is going on right now? It's like, it's so funny because he, but, but the cool thing about Gary, like Gary would see me with those clips with Steven and he'd go, of course, of course you gotta do it. Of course it's you and fucking Steven. It has to be because, and he would be proud of it because I'm his fucking Joe Perry. 
So of course it has to be with you. Just the same way that when he fucking did Eddie, I'm like, of course, of course. <laughs> it was never like, fuck you. How could you? How could you fuck that other fucking girl right publicly right in front of me? It was always like, it was two kids going, we're fucking living the dream, bro. We're fucking doing, we both loved Aerosmith. We fucking loved Van Halen. It was like, it was, it was never an ugliness. It was never like, fuck you and fuck you back. It was like, how was it, man? How was it fucking, fucking Steven Tyler? Like, how was it? Was it great? You know, like, I'm like, yeah, fucking swallowed all of it. It was amazing. (laughs) Well, you know, the funny, the funny thing is with Gary is I told him that my first Van Halen show ever was, was with with him because I'm, you know what? You know why? Because one of the fucking things that Gary did that he probably never got enough credit for that fucking Sammy didn't do. And I told Sammy in this fucking room was like, he brought back the Dave shit and he got the fans back to the Dave shit. You know, where they were like, thank you, fucking thank you. You know what I mean? And Gary fucking, the fans owe him for that. If, if they owe him for anything, it was like he fucking said, fuck this shit. And he did all of it. He brought back the early shit. He brought back the cool shit. Yeah, fuck hell yeah. Dude, oh, well, first off, I agree. Because if you put together like the dream Van Halen set list, it starts off with Unchained. And then the first song I hear is, with the Van Halen thing and it brun What the fuck? And then Gary's back there going, ha ha ha, I could do whatever. And he rocked it. And I know he was set up for failure. But the thing that was so I waited out for eight hours outside of Hard Rock Cafe. I made my mom go at like the crack ass of dawn. I'll it's funny because this is my only interaction with Eddie Van Halen. Was my mom we got there so early. They're, they were open. They had the doors open, and we were like, we started the line. And my mom's there with my little sister, who's like five at the time or whatever. And people are going in and out of the building. When this guy had a hoodie on, he was smoking a cigarette and all that. And my mom goes, "Hey, do you know when the Van Halen's coming?" And he goes, "You're looking at him," and flicks the cigarette at her. And I told Gary that story, and he said to me, "He goes, listen, I could have been in Van Halen that whole time, but when he passed." Nuno was like, we know that that was Nuno's guy. That was, I was in the band, but that was Nuno's guy. And he said that to me, and I started tearing up because that was my first experience of Van Halen was with Gary, but he just basically said to me, but you know that was Nuno's guy. I was just moonlighting yeah. in, in Nuno's guy's band. That's the thing about Gary. Like, you know, I fucking left the band. I quit. I left. I left Gary. I left him in the fucking dust. Seriously, a lot of people, because he did Van Halen, thought it was reverse. thought it was the other way around. Like, oh, fucking Gary's an asshole because he left extreme for Van Halen. No. Gary, I went up to 5150 while they were recording the fucking album. And I remember going up there and fucking Eddie being there with Eddie and Gary and then fucking hanging out at the guest house with Gary afterwards. And then, hey, you want to grab a bite? And then Gary going down. Gary's about to release an album. He's halfway, fucking more than halfway through the album. And he still looks at me across, looks me in the fucking whites of my eyes. And after we eat, and he goes, and he looked at me, and he said, Nuno, you fucking say the word right now. You fucking tell me Extreme is on. I don't go back to that fucking studio. Period. He literally said that to me. He said, Extreme is what we are. That's who I am. Even while being doing Van Halen, doing all that stuff, he knew it was a special thing. He knew it. It's not... It's not to say he didn't know what it was, but it, it, you know, the mothership is extreme. Period. It, it is, you know, it'll always be for us. And the fact that he even would say that, like, you know, at that point shows you how much that, how much 
Jimmy's oh, I, I love to corner him and ask him Nuno stories because you know you don't talk to me as much as Gary does because he's nicer yeah. and and lets me. Well, trust me space. tonight. Tonight I fucking just fucking. Well, but, let out so I asked I asked <laughs> him the following the question because he's worked with Paul Gilbert, he's worked with Nuno Betancourt, he's worked with Eddie Van Halen. And I said, hey, man, those are like three of my like top two favorite guitar players. Come on. And, you know uh, what the answer is. Tom Brady. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no. Bruce Jenner. Okay. Um, but so I was like, dude, who, who is the best? And Because uh, I, I mean, who do you like playing with the most? Tell me. Tell me as the plebeian that loves all these guys. And he goes, well, Paul Gilbert will be the first to say that, you know, if you're Nuno or, 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 Nuno, or, or obviously Eddie Van Halen, that... I could sound like them both, but I don't. No one goes, "Oh, that's Paul Gilbert," so he'll tell you that. And then he said Eddie was like this ADD, like he'd have this unbelievable genius for like a, a day, and then there was like weeks of craziness, and it was like this in, savant level shit. But he said, "Your right hand just it is the most rhythmic thing." It has thing. to be me. It's only it's you. Me. It's it you. He said me. it's you. Not because, not because it's me. Because it's extreme. Fucking Gary, the sound of it, Gary was, bef- same thing with me. What I was doing with Simple and what Gary was doing with Extreme, it was missing a massive hole of what, it's the fucking Reese's Peanut Butter Cup, guys. Come on. It's the Reese's Peanut Butter And it okay. doesn't mean that Extreme is a shit. It doesn't mean Extreme did fucking shit. It, all it means is that with me, it comes to me and him, that's what it is. That will always be what it is. That's, I, you know, it, it's funny. You joke about Tom Brady. Tom Brady knows. Tom Brady knows that he can go to Tampa Bay, and everybody's like, "See, he can do it." No, he can't do it on his own in Tampa Bay, because he would not be Tom Brady at Tampa Bay if it wasn't for the Pats. It will always be the Pats. It will always be Belichick. Because he, he and I'm not even fucking joking. I'm not no, even I being a fucking fanboy. I, I hear you're from Boston. You have to. It's in your DNA. No, no, that's not what I'm saying. I'm, I'm equating it to me and everybody else. Meaning. Whoever grew you, whoever fucking mentored you, whoever made you what you are, you can. I can fucking join Guns N' Roses tomorrow. And by the way, I was asked at one point by Axel to my fucking face in a fucking apartment in New York City. I could do that and I could fucking go, but it's always going to be Slash. It's always going to be Guns N' Roses with Slash. No matter how good I do it, how great I do it, how much I nail it, even if I, it's Slash and fucking Axel. End of fucking story. That's how it always has to be. It's Roth and Van Halen. I'll fucking say it to Sammy. It's Roth and Van Halen. And Sammy will be the first to tell you. You cannot be the replacement ever. It's the original cast that fucking did it all. I don't give a Hold fuck on. who replaces who. How about Bruce Dickinson and Paul Diano? What do you mean? Bruce Dickinson is the second singer of Iron Maiden. Exactly. But that's my point. But you ask, you fucking ask anybody from the beginning, you ask anybody, there would be no Bruce Dickinson without Paul. Yeah. It would not have Wasn't happened. Stuart Sutcliffe the first singer technically in the Beatles before anyone else? Didn't no, he sing before talking, John? Listen, let's, listen, that's like you saying that Peter Hunt was the guitar player in fucking extreme before me. That's okay, fair saying. enough. I'm saying publicly, culturally, the first people who change culture, who shift culture and are the culture of that band they're the guys. But Even Pete Best was the dude, best. One of the best arguments is what? ACDC, come on. One of the best fucking arguments. A- Iron Maiden is a good argument, but ACDC is a great argument. Like, You're right. Nobody, no, black and Black is the best comeback. Nobody can fucking tell you that Bon Scott wasn't the fucking first conception. Man, yeah. 
There was nobody can tell you that. Not even, not even his replacement can tell you that. He knows it. He fucking knows it. That highway to hell that the album they did before, all the shit, dirty deeds is fucking ACDC. Now, granted, the difference is you can say, man, that fucking second generation of fucking ACDC is pretty fucking badass. It is pretty fucking badass. Even if Sammy Hagar of Van Allen, it's pretty fucking badass. Yeah, no, but, on, but Back in Black, you have a really good argument here because if you put on Back in Black, every one of those songs is a stadium track that could be the end closer of any song for any band ever. Billy Joel can close with any of those songs. But wait a second. How did it become a stadium sound? Who made well, it? Who was bon- made it the stadium sound? Who made who, man? Exactly. But seriously, look, seriously, it's easy to become a replacement and a good one. But all the fucking pressure of breaking the culture, breaking the sound was all Bon Scott. Out of a pub out of fucking Perth, West Australia. Come on, you got it. That's where it broke. In Pasadena, in fucking Van Halen. That's where it broke. Gazaris, that's where it broke. None of the replacement guys, as good as they were, were never there. They don't deserve to call it theirs because they weren't there to break the culture. So wait, that guy in Quiet Riot, he wasn't as good of a replacement with Randy Rhodes because he came out with Come On, Feel the Noise, which is arguably way more important than Laughing Gas. <laughs> I'm, not even, I'm not gonna have a sip of this bottle. I'm gonna, go, I'm gonna defer to you we're gonna, guys. We're gonna dive. We're gonna dive deep down some some path there. All right. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna change it up here. I, I have enjoyed immensely just listening uh, to everything that's going on. But I would be absolutely absolutely remiss if I didn't take this opportunity to pick your brain a little bit. Um, All right. Extreme, 30 years ago, you guys are putting out music that I listen to still to this day constantly. I love it. A lot of musicians, they listen to stuff they did three years ago and they say, ah, I hate that. I don't want to listen. Do you, how do you feel you've evolved over this time in your writing, your production, uh, in everything, in the way you compose music since then? Because uh, you set such a high bar. You know, that's a great question. Great question. And I think every artist deals with that, deals with that. And the only, the only thing I could come up with is like, I, I look at, I look at records of an artist and I look at our records as like a photo album. Why? Because no matter what happened at that time, in that year, in those days, in that studio, whatever it is, it's stuck there. It's a photo that you open and it's behind the plastic and I'm sorry, it's there. Whether you like it, whether you don't like what you're wearing, well, I can't believe I fucking was wearing that. I can't believe I was doing that. I can't believe my haircut. I couldn't do whatever it is. Or I can't believe how fucking great I looked. I can't believe how fucking hot I was. Whatever the fuck it is from a girl to a perspective, whatever it is. <laughs> sorry. Right. So, everyone, so everyone can see, this is exactly what he looked like 39 years ago today. Yeah, not much has changed. <laughs> but meaning, meaning, I can't compete with that. I can't compete with what I, I can't compete with the bad shit that I did in 1987 before you heard the first album. I can't compete with, I can't compete with what you think of the first album. I can't compete with what you think of pornography. I can't compete with what you think of three sides. I can't compete with what you think of four, of waiting for the punchline or South Dodge or even the new album that I'm going to play you guys tonight. No, anyways, <laughs> if, if you want to hear some stuff, but my point maybe, being, maybe, yeah. Yeah, maybe yeah. we'll think about it because this is way more interesting, right? <laughs> but my point being is like, I can only be proud, embarrassed, whatever it is of that time. It's like, 
I look at it, and just so you know, just so you know, when that album is recorded, when Porn Graffiti is recorded, a three sets recorded, I've never listened to it ever again. Ever! I promise you, I will never listen, I will never put that album on myself unless somebody listens to it or I'm at the Hard Rock Cafe and fucking somewhere and they like, oh, Extreme's in the house, we're going to fucking play this. And I listen to it and I hear this stuff and I'm sitting there going, wow, wow. Like, I literally listen to, like, three sides, and I'm like, oh, is that what I did? Oh, fuck, I, fuck, I don't know if I like the snare sound. Or, oh, my God, pun, fucking porn graffiti? Fucking porn graffiti? Every song is too fast. Every song is too fucking fast. It's killing me. Turn that shit off. Literally. Oh, fucking, oh, what are we fucking on? Dalvin and the Chipmunks? Why are we singing everything so fast? Why are we? Literally, that's what you do. Like you look at a photo up. And you go... It's never good. It's never great. I understand it and I get it. And you always as an artist progress and you think I can do better or I'm, you know what it is? Anything you hear that I do or any artist hears, I don't care if it's Bowie or Queen or anybody else, they're not trying to outdo what they did before. They're just doing what the best thing they can do at the time. That's it. So when somebody goes, oh my God, your fucking record was better and your fucking record is better. We're like, Sorry. I, I wasn't trying to outdo porn graffiti with three sides. I wasn't trying to do out do three sides with fucking punchline. I wasn't trying to do anything with any of those albums. All I was selfishly trying to do is do what I like to do at that time. Well, let me ask you based on that. I'm, you're obviously a great writer. What do you tap into when you're writing and coming up with something? Because that, that, you know, I'm not really much of a writer myself. I'm more of a player, I guess. And I'm always curious to hear what is liar. Yeah. Well, okay, whatever. Well, okay. you know, you know, the good thing about what you, the good and bad thing, what you said is this, is just like, I've worked with people in the studio and there's some young artists that we've signed to our, which by the way, I'm becoming a rec- I had a production company. Well, we're starting a record company version of what we're doing, AE records. But having said that, there's people, artists that I'll sign and people that have been here and they look at me and they say what you just said, for instance, and they say like, I'm not much of a writer. And you know, like it all leads to what the answer is. The answer is, is, no one can write the songs that you can write. Mm -hmm. No one can tell the story that you can tell. So if you think you're not a writer, you fucking grab a book and you grab a fucking empty page and you don't think about writing a fucking song. You just put shit down. You vomit on the fucking page and you vomit the relationship you're in and you fucking vomit about that. And you talk about the fucking parents that you have and you talk about whatever, you know why? Nobody can tell you a story like you can fucking tell. No one can be as good as you are as a fucking songwriter. No one can be a better songwriter than you are about your own shit. And when you fucking write your own shit on the page and you bleed on that fucking page, you're going to see how much of a fucking songwriter you are. That is amazing advice. Seriously. Nobody can tell the fucking story that Benny has. Nobody can tell the story. Nobody has that fucking story. That's the only reason people are connecting with the Billie Eilish or connected with a fucking queen or connecting with anybody else because they own it. They can't tell you it's wrong. They can't tell you it's right. They can't tell you it's better than before. Somebody can tell me the fucking point of better than I'm like, really? It is? Why? Why? Because you connected with it? Why? Because those Okay, so can I, can I ask you a question then? If, if that's the case, how is the new Extreme record different? Because it's been since 2009 and I feel like I've, I've, there's people that have had children. And I want to know, and they're they're getting older now, and like I just kind of want to know, like if they're going to learn well, about you your know, band that's great, firsthand. That's, great, that's interesting because look, there's, there's one thing that me and Gary said from the beginning, 
and we look in each other, the whites of each other's eyes, and we step in the beginning, we look at each other's eyes, and we say, like, we will never promise me we will never release a song or an album if it doesn't pass the, the, the fucking test, the ultimate test. And you know what the ultimate test is? The ultimate test is, it's not that it's better than pornography. It's not that it's as good as whatever. It's not even that it might, that I'm, I have a great solo on it. It's not even that it has great lyrics. It's not even that it's a great song. It has the thing, the simple thing that you do when you're 15, 16, 17 years old, 19 years old, writing song, even 23 years old, even 25, or even 30, or even 40. Is that the first thing you want to do when you write it and you record it? Is you want to play it for your fucking best friend. And you want to play it for your fucking mates. You want to play it for your family. You want to play it, check out this fucking tune. Listen to this fucking tune we're doing. You want to play it for your fucking musician friends. You want to fucking share it. You don't, you're not thinking about is it as a hit. You're not thinking about does the record company even like it. You're not thinking, you, you, you broke because it was pure. You broke because you're just excited about it. So if we were writing stuff before that and we were coming up with stuff before that and we didn't do album in 10 years because let me tell you something, we wrote five albums worth before that. I can fucking tell you right now, it's there. And not to say those songs weren't good enough to play. They just weren't right. Are you Prince, dude? Because I feel like everything that you say, <laughs> it's like, because I'll tell I know, you, because like I heard Prince like wanting like, to go oh roller God. skating one time and decide <laughs> there was no roller skating music, wrote that record, then threw it away like the Black Album that he was going to release and then said, I had a bad dream. Is that you? It kind of is in a way, you know, in, in a sense of like, I'm not Prince, but it's in a way that it's like, what's really important about doing an album? What's really important about writing a song? What really matters? Like, you know, there's a saying, uh, somebody told me something years and years ago. It was, a, it, was a, it was a manager. He said to me, when I was fighting for my fucking dignity and I'm fighting for songs and I'm fighting for the album and I'm fighting for extreme, he says, Nuno, he fucking, he buried me. You know, he, I thought I was Prince and I'm doing this and I'm so important. My music important. He goes, he said to me, he goes, no, you know what, Nuno? Music has no place in the record business. Music has no place in the record business. That fucked me up because he's right. If you're a true painter, if you're a true fucking songwriter, if you're true whatever, who gives a fuck if somebody buys it? Who gives a fuck if everybody fucking hears it? If you're true, fuck you, fuck me, I'm bullshit. You know why? Because I'm writing an album to sell to the fucking masses. The second you do that, you are selling yourself short and you're selling out. The second you do that. The well, second you, never you consider, let wait, wait. The second you consider writing a song <laughs> and somebody's telling you about what they're going to think, what you're going to think, or if fucking, fucking, fucking Betty thinks it's going to be great or fucking my biggest fans going to be too great, you've sold the fuck out. Because as a true artist and true writer, you're writing it in this room and you pick up a fucking guitar and you write a beautiful lyric and that's it. It's over then and there. You did it. You wrote it for yourself. You wrote it as a melody that you love and you cried and you laughed and you did whatever the fuck. The second it becomes commerce and the second it's going out, it's perverted, it's changed, A&R department, everything. Now, I'm not saying that's not what you do. I'm not, I'm not saying that you can't do both. But man, it's fucking hard. 
it's hard to go from that pure place to go to label, to go to your fans, to go to everybody, everybody judging you and everybody putting you on blast and everybody saying it's wrong. It's not as good as your first album. The second it gets there, you've lost the magic. It's over. It's over. Mm-hmm. The purest artists, the greatest artists don't give a fuck. The purest artists are self-centered. <laughs> Excuse me. When somebody says they're doing this for the fans, this album's for the fans, or this view, liar, liar. They're touring for this, for money, liar. It's about you. It's about you love it. You love it enough to share it with your fucking closest brother who's going to tell you what it really is and what it isn't. It dies and lives in that moment. After that, you're lying. After that, you're like, oh, I fucking did it because of this and it's for the fans and we want to fucking lies, lies, lies. If you're a pure artist, you do it for the love of why you did it in the first place, which is just telling a story, writing a great riff in your room, in your fucking bedroom, in your studio, writing a thing. Why do you think Instagram's exploding? Why do you think social's exploding? Because it's its purest form of some fucking loser sitting in his fucking room showing you naked, showing you what he does in its purest fucking form. Because it's about losers. It's about un... Uh, 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 like unpolished. We're canceled. We're canceled now. No, no, no. <laughs> that's, that's very moving. I, I mean, love I think it. all of this... No, Everything that you say makes so much truth. sense, yeah. And they'll tell I you. Agree. That's why TikTok exploded. That's why it's stuff because finally people say, oh my God, I bypassed the gatekeepers of fucking who polishing everything. And it's you in its horrible form, in its greatest form, and you're dying, living, breathing, and fucking here I am. Here I am. Yeah. There it is. Before everybody corrupts what the fuck I'm doing. Here I am. This new extreme record, that's what it is for you? This new record for me, the reason we're releasing it, it's because I can't wait to play it for you. That's it. <laughs> you should, you should play it, it for us. And by the way, the quote I was going to say is the Mark Twain quote is so much like what you were going to say is, I never let my schooling get in the way of my education. And that's kind of how I feel about how what you said about the music industry is that you don't go to school to learn. You go to the streets to learn. And that's kind of what you did with guitar. And you and I appreciate you for that. And that's why Corey and I have been fans of you since the dawn of time. And we'd love to hear the new Extreme record if you'd like you to share it with Prince, us. That's why when you mentioned our Prince, Prince is probably the first and probably the last to say, no, I'm going to release what I want to release. I'm going to own my own fucking shit. And fuck you, record company. You do deal with that, and you can't stop me from putting out what I put out. Well, I challenge you. Whether it's a pop smash, or whether it's the blackout, or whatever the fuck it is, I'm doing it. And sometimes you can regret it. I can't believe I put that out, because that's what artists do. That's the photo album thing I'm talking about. I can't believe I wore that. You're not allowed to go back. You're not allowed to go back and go like, oh my God, what were you thinking during Pro Graffiti? I couldn't fucking tell you guys. <laughs> I couldn't yeah. fucking tell you. You know why? Because I was 21. I was 20. I'm going to go back and what? Dissect the fucking solo I did? I have no fucking clue why I played why I fucking played. And if I tell you, I'm lying. If I tell you that I know and I calculate, it's real because I was there. It's a moment in time. I was present. I have no fucking clue. And if you think it's the best shit I ever did and the rest sucks, great. Sorry. I can't fucking, <laughs> I can only give you what I can give you now. Yeah. That's it. Done. That's amazing. That's a hard thing to maintain over, over a career of, of being like authentically present and doing what brings you the most joy because you're right. So many people get carried away and all the other stuff that really takes away from why do we make music in its purest form is to to make us feel something for ourselves. 
That's it. That's it. It's just exercising our demons or, or doing whatever we got to do. I remember when, when fucking Three Sides came out and like when Florida Graffiti came out, um, it got a great review in Rolling Stone to the point that we got a cover of Rolling Stone, which is a whole other episode of fucking extreme fucking Jedi mind fucking that a band is going to be on the cover of Rolling Stone. And they're going to do the new faces and they're going to do new face Rolling Stone and we shoot a photo shoot with the band and then I end up being on the cover alone. Which fucked up the band. Real up. That's another episode. What you're the Gwen Stefani of Extreme? <laughs> yeah, I was. But anyways, don't speak. But anyways, <laughs> listen to me. <laughs> when Three Sides came out, because Porn and Graffiti got such a rave reviews from Rolling Stone and oh, everything yeah. else, they gave it almost. Oh, you're like, on the cover by yourself. But 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 by myself. But which is another. We'll, we'll talk about that some other time. Right. But my point That's is, really. it's supposed to be extreme. But my point is, is that here we are. We get great reviews on pornography. We do it, and then we're off to three sides. Now, somebody writes on three sides, it comes out, and we open with fucking helicopters and it's warheads, and we do all this shit. The person writes a review. <laughs> I think it might even be Rose. It says, "This is not how you do a concept album. You don't open telling us how to do an album. Not oh, even okay. like, do I like it or do I get it three sides? These guys don't even know how to make a record. Helicopters, shut up." <laughs> but I'm up in, on the hills by the Hollywood sign. They all land right over the Hollywood sign. But anyways, I do with Hollywood. I have so many helicopters in my fucking tracks when I record it. <laughs> even in, even in the fucking track I did with you. It's like it's me here. with the train. I really? got the train right outside, yeah. So my point being is, so this is the interesting thing, which leads to why we do it for ourselves. So then it didn't get a great response for three sides because of course it's not. You do pornography, you want to do a three-size thing, they're already going to shoot you down, they're going to attack you because you're not who you were, you didn't repeat yourself, you didn't write it more than words, you didn't fucking do blah, 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 you didn't do pornography 2.0, which is what they want from you. You did what you did at the time, where you were in your headspace, in your heart, for real. You weren't trying to do anything, you weren't trying. That's the point. What are you guys trying to do? Nothing. She wrote a bunch of fucking songs like i did on the first one pornography the third one that's all i can do is write a bunch of fucking songs i wasn't trying to have the success of pornography i could give a fuck honestly i could give a fuck but my <laughs> point is so they tell you about three sides they tell you whatever and then personally i did an article with, i did an interview with spin magazine and they said hey they couldn't wait what do you think about what that person said about what they said about three sides and they're fucking baiting me and the words these words came out of my mouth and they probably weren't the true i got into trouble a lot in those days, I said, fucking laugh, fuck you. I got into trouble a lot because I said, what was on my mind? I didn't care about who I was talking about, what band I was talking about. Was I can't find you on MTV when they stalked you and tried putting Extreme back together. And I found out from Paul that you never signed some release. So I watched yeah. you on TV. I told like, them to go fuck themselves. I told them all to go I fuck fucking them. love you for that. There's only going to be one person that puts <clears throat> a shoe back together. It's us, not a fucking... VH1 fucking TV show. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> so anyways, but point being, what was I saying? Fuck. So you're saying they asked you what you thought about that, oh, that article. Oh, and the truest yeah. words came out of my fucking mouth till this day. I said, what do you think about the guy who reviewed Three Sides? And I said, to be honest with you, it's hard to respect anyone whose only contribution to rock and roll is their opinion. <laughs> That's a great statement. <laughs> I didn't rehearse it. I didn't write it. I didn't think about it. I was just like, uh oh, did I just tell the fucking press guy that you're fucking. <laughs> yeah, right. 
But truthfully, in all due respect to every fucking person who reviews an album, it's yeah. whatever. While I'm in this fucking studio, putting my fucking heart and soul in whatever it is, you listen to it once, and I'm supposed to fucking think your word is fucking God about my fucking album or fucking Queen's album or fucking Foo Fighters album or anybody else. Sorry. 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 Your opinion, my daughter can do the review. We can do I can me. I'm supposed to tell Queen what their fucking album is and how good it is and how good it isn't. Go fuck ourselves, me, fuck me too, and fuck everybody. Well, else. didn't you tell him that it was Queen too? So I mean you kinda of told Brian May that he peaked in like nineteen seventy five or something, and that basically News of the World was a letdown. So no, good for you, Nuno. Said, You're a real nice person. Well, everyone can have an opinion. I, no, you know, it's funny. Ironically, what you said is I told him exactly what I just pointed out. News of the world was news of the world. Fucking Night at the Opera was Night at the Opera at that time. Is it better than Day at the Races? No, because Day at the Races is Day at the Races at that time. Mm-hmm. So when we go up and win an award and you're fucking nominated for a Grammy, are you fucking Can't forget Sheer Heart Attack, dude. Brighton Rock. Come on. Talk about falsetto. No, my, point being, my point being, Benny, is like, really? Think about it. An award show. Think about it. <laughs> In the same category, you got Aerosmith, Bob Dylan, fucking Queen. What a, and the winner is... Are you fucking kidding me? Come on. <laughs> really what should happen is like the best albums of that year that everybody thinks and those five nominees should all get a fucking award for fucking changing culture and changing what they do. And we celebrate it on an awards night because, yeah, there can be five or ten albums that change the fucking game. Nirvana, whatever it was. It smells like he's, fuck it. The winner is? Come on. You can't fucking win a competition of music. You can't. It's ungradable. It's unfucking judgeable. Well, it's, it's subjective. It's, it's, it's subjective. Well, you know what I mean? Like, look, I love Shannon Larkin. More the words lost to REM. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, dude! It, literally, everybody hurts sometimes, man. No, it was losing my fucking religion. It was that album. No, that I'm just saying, everybody right. hurts. That was a joke. <laughs> I know. It was a double on. I was joking you back. Oh, I got bird. you. Well, you know, I was just sleeping because that was, you know, my dream state that I'm in. There was a point in time as a, you know, fucking artist, I don't know, use the word artist, you know, artist, I'm an artist, fucking, (laughs) what makes you an artist? You're an artist. All three of you are. It depends what you decide, what your culture is and what your art is, right? We are artists. We are all artists on the Zoom. So what happens is there are days when you're building yourself, it's like it's like you're building a fucking droid of yourself. This queen comes in, Van Halen comes in. You know, it, it, it's like, who are you? Your fat, who is your fabric? Who built, because it's not just you. Anybody says they just came out of the fucking womb and created fucking Van Halen, liar. Eddie was not the first. He was influenced by ZZ Top. He was influenced by Ellen Holes with a bunch of, there's a lot of different things that create all of us on this Zoom that shape us. Now, there's a point that you hit that you go like, oh, fuck. You know, like if you listen to Simple back in the day, it's kind of funny. We were just listening to it the other day. You can go online and literally listen to it. You punch up Simple, you know, Benton Court, and you're going to hear four or five songs. And it's, and it's what I was at that time, at 15, 16, 17. It's pretty fucking wild. But what you'll hear is, you'll hear a Nuno solo, and it'll be literally divided into three sections. Not melodically, not compositionally, but Warren D. Martini goes into Ingve Malmsteen goes into 
right? I mean, literally, literally. And that's a young kid trying to find himself. That's uh-huh. a young kid that's discovering, learning local bands, going through it. And then at some point, something happens. Something, I don't know, a chemistry happens. Something happens where you become an artist, where it's like, fuck, when I play a solo or I do something, yes, I can hear, I can hear it. I can hear the Brian and I can hear it, but all of a sudden the math becomes you. Mm-hmm. And, well, one of the greatest and, compliments I think we ever heard on our show about extreme was from our friend, Richard Shaw, where he said that one of the reasons he listened to you, which is totally the reason that I listen to you. And I, I suspect Corey, the same thing was that extreme is like a musical education. Like there's one part Led Zeppelin, there's part uh, kiss, there's part queen. And like, you have a lot of orchestration. Like, the, you know, you're a producer, man. Like the fact is it always says, you know, horns arranged by Nuno. Like when people used to read all that stuff. And, and, and Richard said to me that I didn't need to listen to that many bands because I learned so much about music just through your band. It's the same thing I feel about Queen too. Is that same they were so I about Queen. I used to say about Queen, one album, one Queen album will educate you more than some band's full careers. One million. I mean that, and I mean that in the kindest way, meaning what? Meaning musicality, meaning melodically, meaning lyrically. It's so lush, it's so in depth that they well, will they do can- that. You go listen to like a night at the opera and you have, you know, a song like 39 with Brian May singing on on, on an acoustic guitar. And then you have the prophet song, which is basically like trippy 5.1 wannabe. And then you have Bohemian Rhapsody. And then you have lazing on a Sunday afternoon where he's basically sounding. It's It's so insane. You do everything and and you guys do the same thing. That's their, that's their, that's their super prophet. That's all their, also their weakness. It's also their downfall after Queen 2. Exactly, because if you spread yourself that wide and you're not AC, ACDC is the opposite spectrum, right? And we love ACDC because it's ACDC, easy talk. We, pull, we pull into that fucking drive through McDonald's and we know what we're fucking getting. Yeah. We know what we're fucking getting. And that's what we want. We want that four on the floor. We want that fucking riff with that space. And we want that fucking arena rock with some raunchy fucking lyrics. We don't want you to change. We don't want you to be Queen. We don't want that. But how beautiful is it? that you can love a band like ACDC and and know it's all open chords and still go, it's just as genius as Queen. How fucking yeah. beautiful is that? Is That's amazing. music in a fucking nutshell. And way it's harder. Instead of going, oh, ACDC, it's just fucking open chords and anybody can play it and fucking do it. No. Harder. You're missing the fucking point. You're missing the point. You're missing the point that culturally, it's fucking beautiful. It's genius and it's Fucking, you go to an ACDC concert and you're, you're in a seat and your hands are up in the air and you're like, you get lost in a place that's so different than Queen. And then Queen comes along, you go see it and you get lost in a different place that Queen takes you. It's a different journey. It's a different journey. Well, dude, it's Beautiful. like South Park. It's the lowest common denominator. That's why it's funny. Because you can watch six episodes and realize it's just a shit joke. You know what I mean? And you're like, wow, that's, 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 that's ACDC. You know what I mean? Whereas Queen is like, you know, like uh, the next generation, Star Trek, where it's like, it's smart and it's fucking brilliant, but you have to like really know what's going, what's out there in the universe to understand the genius of Queen and that Roger Taylor, I'm in love with my car, is also just as genius Look, as Bohemian Rhapsody. Honest Rhapsody's. to God, that's why when, when Extreme first broke, we used to go, that was the difference of America, for instance, in Europe. If you did a show in America and you were going to be a rock band, you had to play rock and roll with another rock band. Extreme Alice in Chains touring together. Extreme fucking winger touring together, right? It's rock and roll. It's like this. It's rock and roll. You go to fucking Europe, you do a fucking festival. I was like, we were playing festivals. 
we're it's supposed to be a rock festival. It's us. We're in the fucking area. Like so, if you go back the backstage, which is just those fucking whatever makeshift fucking built fucking trailer or whatever they are, and, and they're in a horseshoe thing. And you sit there and you're sitting and you're going, fuck. There's the chili peppers. This show crow next to me is extreme. And then there's Rod Stewart there. And then fucking, and then you look and the gates open, doves, doves fly and angels sing. And in comes Paige and Plant. And you sit and you say to yourself, how the fuck is this possible? How the fuck, I'm sorry, Smashing Pumpkins. How the fuck can we all go out and this fucking 70,000 people are okay with this. And they're going crazy for Rod Stewart into Smashing Pumpkins, into Extreme. It, it's fucking amazing. It's amazing. It's music, 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 music. It's not like some fucking trendy bullshit where you're like, it's just good. You, it's okay. It's okay. And that, I, I was like scratching my head going, fuck, man, this is Europe. This is like, they're okay with this? Are they cool with this? Like, what the fuck? <laughs> You know, and I want, I want everybody to experience that. I want everybody to realize that it's okay. It's okay to listen to Billy Eilish and then like Rod Stewart and then like the Eagles and then like Van Halen and like whatever. Fucking just go for it, man. Just fucking just eat it. It's a fucking seven course meal of just like, wow, man, I can't believe I'm, I'm honored to be on a stage with all these different people. And fuck, man, it's insane. So when we're talking about ACDC, it's okay the war of like who's better and who's worse and your album's better than this. I guess my point is saying it's not a cop out of saying, okay, pornography sold, sold the most. Hate to break it to everybody. Hate to break it to y'all. But it wasn't because of my guitar playing. It wasn't because of Nuno was an amazing guitar player. It wasn't because of pornography had fucking Susie once her all day sucker goes into it. No, it was because more than words was a fucking smash. And then All Hearted was a fucking smash. Two songs that don't represent any of my solos, any of my rhythm playing. I mean, rhythm playing, I'll give it that, no songs. But it doesn't represent the 80% of fucking extreme. So fuck you and fuck everybody else for me fucking saying I'm the shit because of what? Because of porn and graffiti? Because of foreign graffiti was the best? No, because it was the biggest selling album and the most platinum and whatever. Because of fucking more of the words. It was a hit. Yeah. It was a fucking... <laughs> what, am I supposed to feel myself that I'm the shit? Gwen Stefani actually sang it too. So it's funny, you, you you had Rolling Stone, but then I saw Gwen Stefani singing it on like The Voice as like a behind the things with like whatever that Blake yeah. Shelton dude. And I'm like, yeah, because everyone sings that song. But I mean, look, I want to ask I'm, you this. I'm, because I'm he, saying, I'm not telling you that I'm not a good guitar player. I'm not telling you that. But what song do you want to share with us? Like, so you said with your friends, the, what makes you excited is that you want to share a song. So I've been waiting. Corey's been waiting <laughs> for fucking years. Like, dude, how long was it for Chinese democracy? You said Guns N' Roses. What is this, Portuguese <laughs> it's democracy? Portuguese. We, call it, it's called, we call it the Portuguese democracy. Oh, I know. <laughs> Pat Badger and, and Gary Sharon said, let us know when it's coming out when you talk to Nuno. So I want to know. I, no, let's, I have to be honest with you. I have to be completely honest. The album itself, I'm super excited about, right? And we went, and the first people we had to play for, like, we had to shop this thing and have Zoom meetings just like this because we can't meet with people. I don't fucking do this shit. Like, I go meet with somebody in person. I fly to fucking New York. I go to a label, and I fucking sit in the, and I live in the room, and I play them the fucking album. And I talk to them about it, and I say, so I'm like, holy shit, now I got to do this. 
You're going to do what we're doing right now. So you throw on a pair of headphones, you share audio. So it's the same audio. So it's not coming from the speakers, all that shit. Mm. And I had to like literally talk about the album, talk about the songs, talk about what the lyrics mean, talk about pictures. It wasn't Gary. It wasn't anybody else. It was me. And uh, regardless of me, if Gary wrote the lyric or me, Gary wrote the lyric. Gary's not that guy. He's not going to go and pitch the album. He's not going to fucking explain the songs. He's not going to go talk about it. Um, but I, I was pleasantly super happy and super surprised that, and trust me, I've been shopping things. I've been shopping other artists. I've been shopping for labels. I've been doing other stuff. And people don't bullshit. They're like, this is just not for us. It's not us. You know, thank you, blah, 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 whatever it is. And I'm super excited about the Extreme album because it really got it got everybody excited and it got everybody pumped that was listening to it. They might have said, like, I love this song more than this song, whatever it is, but they were all excited, but they were surprised. They were like, wow. And you know what it takes to fucking have anybody listen to Extreme album to go, whoa, I'm surprised. What the fuck else can we do? I mean, it's like a fucking funk song, a heavy song, horns, Frank Sinatra, fucking acoustic song, fucking sappy ballads. Like, what else can we fucking shift to you? And even this took everybody and they went like, oh, okay, okay. Well, you know, go on this ride with me for a second because it is even for Extreme. It's still a little bit outside of, outside of Extreme. And, 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 and it's funny because I was, when I was on tour Generation X, and I would always hang out with fans afterwards and we'd fucking two, three in the morning, I'd sit out on the bus and, and be outside the bus and sometimes just have go into conversations with the last remaining 10 to 12 people that are there. And they and I would say, they would say, what's the extreme album like? And I would say, well, I hope you guys like it because it's a little bit not what you expected. And this fan literally grabbed me by the fucking neck. No bullshit. And he went, <laughs> no shit. He went, no shit. That's the good news. Every fucking time you guys put an album, we're always like, I wonder what the fuck they're up to. I wonder what the fuck they're going to do. Three sides or corner from the first one. That's what we look forward to, asshole. We don't want you to repeat yourselves. We don't want you to repeat three sides. We don't want you to repeat porno and say it's porno, whatever it was. So it kind of made me feel a bit better. Like, we wanted it to be different. We want you guys to grow. <laughs> you brought up Generation X. This is the set list from Generation X that I took. And if you look at the set list, which I know you can't see, so I'm going to read it to you. So, Oh, I think we've it seen says, this on the show It before. says Tosin, Tosin, three songs, not Father Tosin, because I mean he's not a father, maybe not. Okay, you could explain that. And then it says Physical Education with Father Nuno, as we know that like, Zach has clearly gone up to whoever's printing this out yeah. to let them know that you are Father Nuno. Yeah. And then three songs. And we know that you don't write instrumentals. So it's great that you do instrumental music. We love you for it. Then Sideways with Father Zach, which, by the way, is the best part of the show. Hands down. You it's and Zach my Wild. Part of the show. Hands it's down. the best it's song. You guys, you together, you guys are like angels. And it's just to see that barbarian <laughs> sounding such angelic. But we'll continue on. Zach Wild, three songs. But we know that's 18 songs because he, he solos forever. But you get to Steve. Now, it's, it's Steve's show, right? Like, it's Steve Vai. It's Steve fucking Vai. Three songs. And again, we know they're very, they're long songs, and it's yeah. Steve Vai. But then Ingve, And we give Ingve <laughs> all the, the props. It's Big E. Then it's Top Down, Foot Down, No Rest for the Wicked, Big E. Throw Guitar, Drum Beat. That's a song. That's one song. Valhalla, <laughs> Dash, Baroque and Roll, Masquerade End. That's another, that's another song. Then it's a thousand cuts. It's like Crypto. It's like Crypto. You don't get it. From it's hell. Like 
Hold on, but it continues on. Bandoneer Double B, Paganini's fourth. Oh my smash God. Wait, is far that all that small print? Is that all it is? Yeah, <laughs> Far Beyond the Sun, Trilogy Fugue, Short Echo, Acoustic, Black Star with Father Steve, then Bohemian Rhapsody. How does he get a whole fucking 16 hours when you guys are doing only a four-hour set? Because we fear for our lives. <laughs> right, it, what's it like backstage? Paint the picture. Because you, you sent me one time a message backstage with Steve I and, and Zach Wilde and Tosin and, all, and, and, and that amazing group of people. What's that like to tour with the, the craziest people? That's like the American Ninja Warrior, but not American. Look, you know, it's interesting. You know, the cool thing about Generation X and why it stayed the same lineup is because it was just an idea that the night that you came and you saw in Massachusetts and you saw a Stewart, you know, we weren't supposed to do Bohemian Rhapsody that night because we weren't. Frankenstein was where they're supposed to be. Yeah, so we weren't supposed to do bow rap because we weren't rehearsed enough. We didn't even, I think we rehearsed it once or twice. And we were supposed to do it on the first fucking tour and we didn't do it. That's what wrote me into doing Generation X by Steven for the first place. I said, I don't want to do a fucking G3. I'm not that guy. I don't do instrumentals. But if you want me to do my set and we're going to do stuff and then we can all get together and do some ensemble pieces that are really special that we can pull together and make an Ingve and a Nuno and a fucking Zach and a, and a Steve I just put their fucking guns down and just be a part of something that's bigger and that we can harmonize and do some, I'm in. And he said, that's what exactly what we're doing. So we didn't do Bohemian Rhapsody, even though, you know, I was told we were going to do it. And then I was told we were going to do it. I said, I will only do the second tour if we do it by the time we get to Massachusetts because it's my home fucking town and I want to fucking do Borough Rap because this is why I fucking am here in the first place. And then we got off stage, we rehearsed it at Soundcheck and then everybody pulled over and Steve I came into my room and he said, you know, guys don't want to do, they want to do bow rap, they're not ready. And I was like, I looked at Steve I, one of my heroes, and I said, let me explain something to you. You're in my fucking turf now. <laughs> and we're doing fucking bow rap. Because if we don't do bow rap, I don't fucking go on that stage tonight. Period. So you go in and tell me, they, Tell everybody that's scared to fucking do it. We're doing it tonight. And it's probably not the best idea because it's probably going to be the worst version we ever do at that point because it's not tight and it's not muscle memory and it's not all shit. But we're fucking doing it in fucking Malden or wherever the fuck we were. <laughs> Medford <laughs> at the Chevalier no. Theater. It started in Medford. It's going to end in fucking end Medford. Medford. <laughs> Medford. But my point being, and we did it. And we, it was sloppy and it was weird, but I was so fucking excited and I was so, we did it. And then we did it every night after that. And by the time we get to the list, it was fucking like, boom, and whatever. My point being is, I don't have a fucking point. My point being is that's <laughs> why, you know, the Generation X thing is that we all got together. And the reason they agreed to do it is because when we first fucking started doing this and we were rehearsals and it's fucking Ingve and it's fucking Zach and fucking, you know, whoever, we're like, holy shit, this is not just guitar, this is fucking egos. This is like, how is this gonna be like? What is gonna happen? How long are we gonna last? Are we gonna fucking, this thing gonna go two shows? Do you tell Ingve to stop playing? Do you like, you go like, dude, one too many arpeggios? Or, or Zach, like the pentatonic thing is getting old? No, I don't say anything of that because the, the thing about Generation X is everybody does what they do and what their superpower is, is what they do. And they have that time in their set to decide what their superpower is. And you're either on board or you're not on board. The cool thing is, is 
all these different fans. Like I had a fucking Inveil guy come up to me after the show and he had a fucking strat. He had like literally the fucking like the classic fucking scalloped fret strat. And, and I went up to watch Inveil's set after I finished my stuff. I had one of these in my hand, which I do every night after I finish my set. And this guy came up to me and he was a fucking like bodybuilder fucking like dude that could like crack my fucking skull in like two seconds. And he said to me, he goes, Hey, and I go, what? And I was up in the balcony and he was in the balcony. And I was like, fuck. And he goes, I came to see Ingve tonight. Mm-hmm. And he had the fucking strat in his hand. And I'm like, okay. He goes, but I really enjoyed your set. <laughs> so intense. He fucking surprised me. And I'm now a fan. Would you sign the guitar? Ingve, the guitar he had for Ingve. And that's what Generation X was about. Steve said it from the beginning. The idea was we bring people together that come to see an invade, that come to see a Vi, and we turn them on into everybody else. And if they like it, they like it. If they don't, they don't. And they share, and we come together, and we show that guitar players can come together, and it's not competitive. It's us admiring each other and the love on stage. We introduce each other. We talk about how much we fucking, how much that guy meant to us, and how he influenced us, and how he changed our lives. That's what Generation X was. It wasn't a fucking, it wasn't a cutting heads thing. It wasn't who's better and who's fucking worse. It was like a group of guitar players that get together to say, man, I fucking love what you do. And I love what you do. And I love what you do. Let's fucking, let's pull it together. And like, sound a fucking great night. It's just guitar. And if somebody doesn't like what you're doing, they can go to the concessions or they can go to the fucking toilet and do whatever. And that's okay. That's okay. But if, if 20% or 30% of an Yngwie fan discovers me, or a Zach fan discovers me, whatever it is. It's well, you fun. can't go to the toilet when Zach is on because I tried during NIB and then he like literally walked and blocked <laughs> me. And then I have a video of it. Literally got on my chair in front of me at the Chevalier Theater, stepped on my jacket and then continued to play. And then I thought he was going to get down, but then he just put the guitar behind his head yeah. and then continued to play. And <laughs> I was like, I, I have to piss. I, I thought I was going to piss my pants, but like Zach Wilde. But so, that's Zach. But that's Zach. You can't leave. You can't leave, dude. That's what I love. No about one Zach. leaves. That's what I love about Zach. <laughs> and I love what that Zach does, what he does. And we actually came up together around the same time. And he's always been a friend. And he's always been Zach. And he's always been solid. And if there's a dude, honestly, I know he's a great guitar player. But what this thing was about is like, we would get in a bus. I was like, I said to Steve, so what's happening with the bus situation? He said, no, we're all on the same bus. I'm like, wait, what? Like literally, <laughs> religiously, politically, <laughs> we're all on the same fucking bus. And the first fucking few nights, the first week, yo, if we had a fucking, the biggest mistake I've ever made in my fucking life or we ever made in our lives is we didn't have like GoPros set up on the fucking yeah. corners. Because if you guys sure. fuck Generation X, fuck the show and fuck the guitar players. If you heard the conversations that were going on on that fucking bus, we would have the highest ratings. Fuck. Tiger fucking, what was the fucking show? In- <laughs> Tiger King. Tiger King, Tiger, yeah. Tiger King. Fuck Tiger King. Fuck it. That fucking show and the conversations the shit that we were standing up in each other's faces fucking talking about. This is the time where fucking the election was going on. Trump versus fucking where you would not fucking believe the shit that was going on. The shit that was said that politically incorrect motherfucking shit that was going on in that bus. We would have all been canceled. Over. <laughs> done with. You got fucking Invade full right. You got Invade from fucking Scandinavia who is the biggest patriot in the world. The greatest American of all time is Invade Malfi. The greatest American. He will school you, 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 and you on American history, 
politics and everything else. No bullshit. This guy loves America more than we do. <laughs> fuck, fuck patriotism. He is the greatest fucking American of all time. Anyways, you have him, you have Tosin, who's full fucking left. And then in the middle, you got Steve I, while we're all arguing, who's literally legs crossed and floating in the room. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, and he's like, brothers, sisters, relax, stop fighting. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I English accent from fucking Mick Jagger at fucking Altamont. I don't know what the hell. Because he's but, pacifying. But, my, but, but that's what it was like. So, cut to the first fucking week, it's like, Fuck this. People are going to bed. I'm not even fucking listening to this shit. I can't believe you just said that about this and about left and about right and about Trump and about fucking wherever. I'm like, oh my God, we're not going to last fucking three days. It ain't going to fucking happen. Can't happen. Fucking Zach's ready to punch somebody out. So the fucking Ingvay's ready to pull out the guns that he brought with him. Fucking, I don't know what the fuck this <laughs> right. was, right? Ingvay brought guns with him. <laughs> Oh my god, you have no idea. He's a real American. No, I don't. That's why I want to know. I, does he, I, I heard from Darren Gerini and he chased... But the point that I'm saying is, is that all of a sudden, a weekend, two weeks in, people are not going to bed anymore because they're offended by what he said or what he said. We're like, wait, we started doing everything that isn't happening anymore. It's like, okay, I fucking don't agree with anything you're fucking saying. And normally I'd want to put a fucking stab you in your chest like 20 fucking times what you just said about my people and fucking left and what's going on. But why? What you, why? Why are you in Vemopsy? Like, give us the fuck. Why are you the way you are? And it came out. And he fucking boom. Why is Steve Vai the way he is? Yo, I'm telling you, we became brothers, not because of guitar, not because what like it was like people were crying and shit. People are fucking expressing where they came from, their life in fucking Europe, their lives in as a Tosin as a black man in this country. Fucking it was unbelievable. And Guitar didn't matter anymore as much. If somebody fucked with Ingve, I'll fucking kill him. If somebody fucked with fucking Tosin, I'll fucking kill that motherfucker. But it wasn't like that in the beginning. We were like, oh, I'm going to kill fucking Ingve. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to fucking kill <laughs> yeah. You understand. The first thing, the first thing me and Ingve had as a fucking, he's one of my heroes. One of the fucking heroes. I went to see him in fucking, in Worcester. Worcester. I went to see him. Fucking, I was obsessed with fucking Ingve, just like everybody else was. I was like, what the fuck is this guy doing? What the fuck is a sweep? I don't even understand what the fuck is happening. <laughs> to go see it live to understand what the fuck. Why did he go? What, what the fuck? I was, play, I was playing it, breaking down notes and doing sweeps, like playing every fucking note, picking every note. That's why I became who I was. Yeah. But my point being is, my point being is, I remember we were second and third show in. We were in Vegas. And we had to separate times for sound checks for everybody to get the sound checks they wanted. And I went a little bit. I don't want to say I went over. I think I cut my time for Ingve to have because Ingve, you don't understand. That's what makes him so great, and that's what makes him so great. He plays the whole motherfucking show at Soundcheck. He ain't fucking Soundchecking. He's fucking running that band like into the fucking ground in a good way. Like you're gonna fucking play. We're gonna Soundcheck the motherfucking set right now. He ain't fucking around. Me, I'm like play a few chords. Let's play a song or two. Let's get the levels. I'll save it for the show. My point being, that's why at first we were all like, "What the fuck." But then you start to realize why he is who he is and why he plays, how he plays and why he's passionate about what he does. But second and third show in, he was coming on stage. It was his time. And all I wanted to do, I do that little fucking Timbali fucking solo for Frankenstein with the drummer, whatever it is. All I wanted to do was hit the fucking motherfuckers and check to see if they were on. 
second I hit that fucking thing, he came onto the fucking stage like, what the fuck? <laughs> Yo, if we're going to fucking sound check, this is my fucking time to fucking sound check in front of the band, everything else going off like, what the fuck? And it's like, you know, like, you know, man, this is not right, whatever it is. And I was like, I was a little embarrassed because I'm in front of my, my band as well. I'm doing whatever. So I got off stage. Okay. Okay. Got off stage. I walked backstage through the curtains to the fucking elevator and my elevator opened and I was going to go up to the dressing room. The elevator opened and I got in the elevator and then the elevator was about to close and I put my hand in and said, no, nah, hell no. Nah. I'm from fucking Massachusetts. <laughs> put the fucking hand in. I walked back to that fucking stage. He was playing a fucking song. And I walked around the stage and I like, everybody stop. I stopped the drummer. I stopped the bass player. I fucking stopped in vain. He's like, the fuck? And I walked up to this fucking dude who's much bigger than me, much taller than me. And I said, my parents both are dead. And they're the only ones who will ever fucking talk to me like that ever again. I said, don't you ever fucking talk like that from the band. Don't you ever fucking speak like that, that tone ever to anybody on this fucking tour, unless you want to pull me aside and talk to me. And I thought two things. He's either going to take his guitar and stab me through the fucking chest, or is he going to knock me out, or it's shit's going to get bad right now. And the band, everybody got silent. Like, uh-oh. And he was like, what? no, dude, man, I, I, wasn't, I, didn't, I wasn't referring to you. I was like, and he... He became human. From that day on, we didn't even know if we were going to tour ever again together. And we had a meet and greet to do when the fucking elevator opens. Of course, I get in. Who's the only two people in the fucking elevator? <laughs> Me and Ingrid. <laughs> Going to the meet and greet. Everybody's already there. Quiet. We're just sitting there. And we're like, man, Ingrid's like, man, we're cool, right? We're cool? I'm like, we're cool. <laughs> that's it. I'm fucking, I will fucking take a bullet for the dude ever since that fucking that's and that's what was amazing about Gen X is like, here I am with a hero of mine. And of course we love his playing. He's the fucking guy. There will be no album like that Rising Force album. Fuck everybody that came afterwards. Fuck. Love Paul Gilbert. Love him to death. All the guys that did after that, Yngwie did it in a way that he was about to break every time he did an arpeggio. Every time he did a bend, you can hear noise. You can hear shit. You can hear shit. He's ready to fall apart to a million fucking pieces. It was different than the clean stuff. It was different than what everybody else that came afterwards. And God bless everybody that came afterwards. Just like Eddie. Just like Eddie. In his field, he fucking did it like nobody else. Sorry. Period. End of fucking story. Yeah. And we know it. You know it, Corey. We all know it. We all know it. That when we well, he's sitting in front of a 5150. In fact, Corey and I became <laughs> friends because we were in Boston and you know that every, like if you play Bill's Bar, anywhere, anywhere, they say, hey, does the band have, who has gear? And I made note of the dude that had the 5150 because I'm like, okay, he could carry a heavy head and he has a 412 cab and maybe if we do shows together, I'll get to use his 5150 and I'll sound yes. like Eddie Van Halen. And that's yes. how we became friends. So continue. <laughs> That's amazing. But, but what I just said as well is like, sorry, I put myself in there and I will, I have no problem putting myself in there. Post VH, post Ingve, post the guys who changed culture in their fucking thing. Sorry for the rest of us. Too fucking bad. You are nothing without those fucking guys. End of fucking story. I don't give a fuck how many cover of guitar magazines I did in my own right and fucking decent albums and songs I write. Nothing without EVH coming through or Brian May or whatever. Those are the guys that change the fucking culture. And those are the guys that that you should have no problem ever saying that those are your guys. Because you should be proud of them. 
Right sure. on. Well, Absolutely. listen, we've covered quite a bit. We've been rolling uh, now for <laughs> a couple hours. Is it tomorrow? All of the biggest life lessons are in yeah, these I'm, I'm episodes. I'm just like taking it all in. <laughs> Well, yeah. I'm, I'm just so happy that like yeah. you you've been so can't like honestly from the bottom of my heart like yeah thank you I said for opening about, your heart to us. I said, I said this. honestly, guys, I don't know how to be any other way. I, I I don't I don't have answers for anything. I don't even know what we're gonna talk about. And I get I get into trouble a lot speaking my mind, and I fucking you know tell stories and I say the way it is, and it's just one of those things where I'm like, is it, it's like why are we fucking meeting up to talk if it's not going to be like real and it's that's not the best be way to live absolutely yeah. i think we can no, all agree I think there's on that just, there's so much to talk about we might we might have to force you to, to join us again at some point <laughs> <laughs> oh we, we have to say thank you by the way so our friend ollie it was it's been three years and look you made a childhood fantasy in fact a, a, a bet between ollie and i because we kind of talking about eddie van halen and you were in bill and ted so this brings it all like a synchronicity <laughs> because so, so first off one of the first movies I ever saw was Bill and Ted and I thought literally Beethoven was play with me I was like Beethoven's rad dude I, I, I want I, I, I'm serious and then you know the whole movie the whole idea is presupposed upon if you can't make a video unless you have Eddie Van Halen but you can't have a video unless you have Eddie Van Halen so it's kind of like a catch 22 well, it's, funny. it's funny when you said that, Be that Beethoven or whatever it is I remember when I when the first extreme film came out and I was obviously you can tell when, whenever you hear anything in any of my souls or any song that turns a little bit classical it's going to be Yngwie it's just going to be it's just going to be it's just, it has to be but something that I would do is like yeah Nuno Nuno sounds like Yngwie in slow motion <laughs> and it's so fucking true I was like he's so right it's like plays like da -da 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 -da, and Yngwie's going like when I heard Jet to Jet for the first time and I was at my friend's house in Marlboro Mass and I'm like we're listening it was a cassette and I'll let forget it and Jet to Jet came on from Alcatraz and they're singing it and then the fucking solo comes in and this thing happened we don't even know what happened it's like seeing a UFO we don't even know guitar terms what just happened rewind that wait rewind it again wait rewind it again I don't understand what just went what just went through? What what is that? Like we didn't even know what the fuck happened. It was like it was so funny. Like as as young guitar players were like, no idea. We still don't know. We're gonna have to go see live, <laughs> like Eddie, to figure out what the fuck just happened to us. How this fucking guy just fucked our minds up in our whole world. Well, you have to understand how the universe has brought us to you because Ollie, who I considered one of the greatest composers, one of the greatest uh, guitarists that has kind of been overlooked. And, you know, this has been three years since he passed. We used to say, like, because we, we started uh, Lost Symphony, which was Symphony, and we found Siobhan, and we said we wanted to write classical music, um, you know, with a full orchestra. We want to get unbelievable players. And we used to argue, like, who should we get? And I'd be like, no, no. No, no, he'd be like Marty Friedman. I'm like, no, no. So when he passed, well, it's funny. I literally that, said we had to get Nuno and Marty Friedman together. Look, as much as I'm influenced by Ingve, I don't really do that. I would never even consider myself in the same fucking like in the same vicinity of like. Yeah, I have classical. I have classical influences other than Ingve. I've always had. I've always loved classical music before Ingve. But my point being, as a guitar player, anybody after Ingve who plays classical guitar is doing it because of Ingrid, period. Yeah. No argument. You're lying if you're saying you're not. So my point being is I never considered myself. So when Paul Geary first asked me about doing something, my first answer to him was like, was not no, because I don't want to do it. It's like, I don't think I can hang with this. Honestly, I don't, I'm not that guy. Like it was more of like, 
I can play like I, I'm not. I, these guys will. But that makes you me. like a hotter girl for the dance. Like guys that you have on here, I'm like, it's not my field. It's not my like thing. Not because condescendingly, because I don't know that I can fucking rip with those guys and do. I don't even know how to do a sweep yet. I still can't do one. I don't know how. I, I I'm just, I'm I just speak- glad that you and I have something in common then. <laughs> <laughs> like, Listen, tried, but it's not in my DNA to do it. It's just it's, it, it goes against everything that I try to do. I don't know how. I don't want to be mean, you know, but I, I hate to say that this is one time I feel like I get to say I told you so because there's about a thousand comments online that say Marty Friedman and Nuno Betancourt. I never, I never thought this day would come. You're and right they, about they that. It's a great. They're combo. like, holy You're right shit. About that. You're right They're about like, that. I'll give you there's that. There's a it's thousand that. people that literally thought the world had ended because you two played on a song. And then when I saw Amit from Guitar World, the first thing he said to me was, how did you get Nuno to play with such chromaticism? I'm like, what the fuck does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> I said he was angry at me. Does that explain anything? Like He was angry. He played well, with anger. Now, and now you can hear you it. see me and fucking Betty talking together, now you can see how Tex is a fucking disaster. Yeah. <laughs> because, because two people that don't shut the fuck up and then they try to communicate via text with no tone and you know anything is like, fuck you and fuck you back. Well, it doesn't help that I hit you in the face with a microphone and the teeth and like I'm just trying to get the guy a microphone because he's trying to sing like play that funky music white boy or something at our friend's wedding nonetheless. And of course, I'm like, I'm trying to be the impromptu sound guy. Smash the dude in the face. And then he's mad, rightfully so, because I smashed him in the face but I said sorry so many times that he got annoyed with me. And he's just like, stop! Fine, it's fine, I'll be alive. I've broken every tooth in my face. Hey, and then we're friends again. Here, all these teeth here, most of the bottoms of them, they're all fucking whatever, Bondo, whatever they use, like they use in cars. <laughs> <laughs> because I crack them all on my mic stand and on tour and fucking, when you're on stage with Gary Sharon, you're going to fucking crack your fucking teeth. <laughs> That's good to know. <laughs> so, so what's the song you would say you would share to your friends from the listen, new extreme record? I would, I, listen, it. I, I, listen, it's fu- what time is it there for real? It's it's time time to hear extreme. One thirty. <laughs> I'm extremely tired. impatient. You guys are tired. You don't want to hear any extreme. Everyone thinks oh. I'm on I'm I'm on amphetamines yeah. anyway. So let's just appease them. Well, this is the deal. If truthfully, honestly, and I don't take any offense to it, if you want to hear a couple of extreme songs, I don't mind playing for you. But I will have to reconnect with you. This, I'm in my studio and I'm on my computer that I, you know, that is my. Yes, you had me at. Yes. <laughs> it's my Pro Tools. It's my Pro Tools computer. I don't even have anything on my computer with that. My laptop now that is all my mix and everything that I sent to my playlist. I'll, I'll, is, I'll sing you some David Lee Roth. I'll wait till your love comes down. <laughs> By the way, probably the only ballad they have ever done. It's the only ballad they've ever done. It's not even a ballad. Van Halen never recorded a ballad. Well, do you know why? Do you know who wrote that song with him? Michael McDonald, bro. Bullshit. Look it up. Yeah, dude, Ted Templeman was doing the doobies. I know he's doing the doobies, but Michael McDonald really wrote I'll Wait? Dude, supposedly, I I don't know. Maybe I've been lied to, but I'm pretty sure he'll Google it by the time you get to your next computer. It's not the greatest melody, Michael McDonald melody in the world. No. No. He's, He's listed as a songwriter. Yeah. I know, dude. I'm not making it I up. I never bro. bothered. I never bothered to look at that shit. So. <laughs> we can uh, we can wrap up on on the sh- yeah. on the show here. 
Yeah, look, I guess what I was saying, you're right. I guess what I was saying, and I'm pointing to you like you know, like you're over there, which you're actually over there in your world. So Benny keeps talking to me looking that way, and I'm actually over here in my world. I'm like, why does he keep looking at Siobhan when I'm like fucking like, talking to me? So, but, but, uh, by the way, am I pronouncing your name correctly? Yeah, you, yeah, that's it, Siobhan. Well, you got, you give got me, it. Give me the proper, your pronunciation. Siobhan. Siobhan. Yep. Okay. Like Siobhan, like S H A V, as in Victor A N. Or it's a V over a B. It's a it's a it's a yeah. The B H is like a V. It's like a yeah, like a Celtic sort of B H is a V. So isn't it Swedish? Betty made it good to me. Got it. I got it. I got it. So the B. I did weddings. I did weddings too, Nuno. They have to spell it for us fucking people. Like when I say people, you got nothing on me because my name is fucking Nuno. Okay. Like my name is fucked. I mean, you know, you know what everybody, everybody in the city, every restaurant, every fucking delivery knows me as it's Paul. That's my takeout name because this is me and fucking all the way back to Hudson House of Pizza. Like, I like to order a fucking large pepperoni delivery. Okay, who do you got? It's for Nuno. Excuse me, what? Nuno. I'm sorry, what? N- Nuno. How do you spell That's it? Like me, Paul. anytime. Okay, thanks, Paul. <laughs> yeah. I started using Paul till this day. Postmates everything. I am fucking Paul. That's amazing. Because they can pronounce it. I was sick of like, what? Excuse me. What? What's the new yeah. Never heard it. I'm sorry? How do you spell it? I'm like, fuck you. I'm Paul. <laughs> and on that note, you've been 2020 and we're going to listen to some extreme and fuck all of you. Thank you so much, Nuno Betancourt. Thank you so much, And I hope Nuno. on behalf of the goddamn universe that you release this record. Finally, some Portuguese democracy happens because we I don't know about you. Deal. We just signed a record deal. It's coming. All right. Are you shitting me? Congratulations. No, I wanted to release the spring of 2020. <laughs> Fucking pandemic came through and killed it. And then I want to release the spring of 2021. And we're like, gotta shock the motherfucker. And labels are slow as fuck. Fuck them too. So now they're like, it's too late. So we gotta do it at the beginning of next fucking year. Fuck this shit. <laughs> well, we'll wait till your love comes down. <laughs> You've been right. 20. With Michael McDonald. <laughs> All right, 2020-D.com. We'll see you on the next one. Thank you for checking out this episode of 2020. As always, check out 2020-D.com. Like and subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out on future episodes. This week's throwback clip is from episode number 33 featuring Satchel of Steel Panther. Check it out. There's, you know, of course, we're getting into subjective territory here, but but there's a lot of great Motley Crue songs, but there's some shitty ones too. There's some shitty ones too. And, but, you know, listen, Motley Crue, they, they, they deserve credit for writing the great songs they've written. Um, it's, I don't give a fuck what those guys think about us as a band. I do think it's funny that they that they feel the need to go head to head with us sometimes. We're gonna win every fucking time. I mean, listen, if those guys have ever listened to us, we're a way better band live than them. And we'll we'll beat them in a, in a battle of the bands any day of the week. And I will totally, um, if Tommy Lee wants to fist fight me, I'll, I'll clock him. I'll fucking This is the story of Whitney Houston. This is the story of Kurt Cobain. Of George Michael, of Otis Redding, of Amy Winehouse, of Michael Hutchins, Bob Marley. This is the story of Prince. It's a new podcast series. About how they died, why they died, and why we're still talking about them so long after. It's like nothing you've ever heard before. It's storytelling. But it's more than that, because rock stars... They tell us how we feel. They change our mood. They change the clothes we wear. 
The people we hang out with. The way we remember things. It's them who give us those ludicrous moments. The ones where you're... Jumping around, singing your heart out, feeling understood. And it's those moments we'll help you remember. The ones you're thinking about right now. That feeling. That feeling. It's coming soon from Crowd Network. Just search for Death of a Rockstar on your podcast app. And subscribe now.